Thank y'all so much for reading. Good to have y'all here. Um, glad you're here. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister for RUF at Texas. I'm usually also not the music guy. I feel like I'm doing everything tonight. So sorry if you're tired of seeing me already. But uh, we're really glad you're here. RUF is, we're a ministry that um, believes that Christianity isn't about getting right with God. We believe that Christianity is actually about what God has done to make things right in this world (laughs) through his son. And that we can also have that uh, by grace, the grace of God through faith. Um, So if this is your first time at RUF, this is your 101st time at RUF. What we want to recognize and say on the front end is that all of us here are people who need grace. We all need it. No one is better than the other. We all equally need God's grace. And so we come together, not as people who have it figured out, but as beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. So that's what we're here to do tonight. And we're going to do that by looking at this story. Uh, Can I have someone's handout, by the way? I forgot to bring mine. Thank you, Sydney. Appreciate it. Um, Just look on with a friend. So... um, Y'all know this past week a very beloved student named Nikki Cumberland was in a life-threatening accident. Um, And uh, I didn't know Nikki, but I've discovered that a lot of y'all really knew him and loved him. And that he had a really beautiful impact on a lot of people's lives. And when something like this happens, a very natural, logical question that we began asking is why? Why did this happen? Why do things like this happen? Why is there suffering in this world? And um, we've been doing a study on uh, Jesus through the eyes of Peter this semester. We're going to kind of veer off and just talk about this question of why why is there suffering and how can we have hope in the midst of it? And we're going to look at a story that, that Peter did witness It's the story in John 11 that we just had read to us. And uh, one of the reasons I love this passage is because you essentially get two women who are Jesus' friends and they're asking the same question. Why? Why did this happen? Why did you let this happen to someone that you love, Jesus? And if you've had a situation like this happened to you where you've seen someone that you love suffering, you have asked this question as someone who's been a pastor now and in ministry for 10 years, I have found myself asking that question more than I thought that I would. I have found myself asking that question when I'm leaving the funerals of students, parents, I have found myself asking that question when I'm leaving hospital rooms of people who've attempted suicide. I have found myself asking that question when people tell me about the hard things that have happened to them in their lives. I have found myself asking this question so many times. And the beautiful thing about how Jesus, how God reveals himself through the person of Jesus in this passage is that God welcomes our questions and he does something about it. And that question, why why has this happened? It's a question that pops up a lot in the book of John. In John 9, we we see it here in John 11, but also in John 9, the disciples come across this blind man and they kind of use him as like a a hypothetical 
question. They say, hey, is this guy blind because of something he did or because of something his parents did? Like, who did something wrong? They're kind of like believing, like, there must be, like, karma or some, some kind of thing going on here. And what Jesus says, I think, is really instructive. His response is, it was not this, that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And look, we might not understand what the works of God are. But what Jesus is saying is that God actually is at work in the midst of hardship and suffering. And maybe you don't believe that. Maybe you're here and perhaps you don't believe that God is at work. Maybe you think that God is loving, but he's powerless to be at work. In other words, that God wishes things could be right, but because he can't, then life is random and our suffering is random. And we're kind of hopeless in the midst of that. Or maybe you're here and you believe that there's a God, but you, and you think that he's powerful, but you don't think that he's loving. Like he's powerful, he could do stuff, but because all these horrible things are happening in the world, there's no way that he's loving. And if that's your conclusion, then that means suffering is purposed, but it's not purposed for your good. And we're hopeless. Or maybe you're here and you don't believe there's a God. And if you're here, by the way, and you don't, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for being here and like considering this with us. I always hope that there's people like that here considering this and that we can be a, a welcoming place for you. But if you're here and, and you don't think God is real, then that means that all of life is random. That life is not, it's not purposed for our good. The things that happen aren't purpose for our good. And in, in a sense, we are hopeless in that. Or perhaps you're here and you believe that God is powerful, that he is loving, and that he is real. But then we're still left with the question of why the suffering. <laughs> and what I want you to see in this passage is that God is at work in our suffering. He cares and there is hope. Guys at work, he cares and there's hope. So let me pray for us and then we're going to look at this text together. Father, thank you for the blessing it is to gather on this campus and to open up your word together. And we pray that you would be with us now, that your Holy Spirit would bless the preaching of your word. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I've got just two points for y'all tonight. I know, straying from my three-point sermon, buckle up, two points. Um, Our suffering and our hope. Our suffering and our hope. So first, our suffering. I want you to look at at, uh, verse five and six in your handout. When you're reading them, you wouldn't think that verse five and six would come next to each other. It's, It's almost bizarre and striking that the author writes it this way. Because when you read verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They've they've sent this message, hey, the person that you love is sick, so like do something about it. And so verse 5 says, Jesus loved them. So you would imagine that verse 6 would say, And so he went immediately and raced to Lazarus' bedside. But instead, verse 6 says, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And that is a strange two verses next to each other. And 
I'm sure it must have had Mary and Martha sitting at their house wondering, where is he? They say so much later on, we're going to see. Where is he? Where were you, Jesus? Where were you, God? We sent for you. We asked for you to come. And it feels like you haven't shown up at all. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like that right now. Or maybe you felt like that before. In the midst of your suffering, wondering, God, where are you? What are you doing? Like, I thought, especially maybe if you're a Christian or you're a new Christian. Like, God, I thought that, that now that, like, I'm on your side, that things would be good for me. That I would have a blessed life. And we have, in, in, in our world, some of y'all have heard me talk about this before, but like we have a very skewed idea of what blessed means. We have a hashtag for it. Right? A hashtag blessed. That, that's the, uh, we just want to live a hashtag blessed life. And this is kind of, I, I went on Twitter recently to just kind of get some examples of what, how we think of a hashtag blessed life. This is, Here's a few examples that I uh, drummed up. Um, here's one. I'm beat. This is hashtag blessed is like the greatest humble brag tool Christians ever invented. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I am beyond hashtag blessed to receive an offer from the University of Duke. <laughs> Congratulations. You're so awesome. Uh, here's another example. Uh, <laughs> you can say whatever you want about me, but you cannot say I wasn't hashtag blessed with a great set of eyebrows. <laughs> I wrote that one. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. <laughs> Chrissy gets to pluck my eyebrows sometimes. It's bad. Um, I don't know why I just shared that with y'all. I shouldn't have told you that. Um, and it's official. Criminal charges are in the process of being dropped. Hashtag blessed. It's <laughs> a good one. But look, you've got to remember Jesus's concept of what a blessed life is entirely different from the way that we use that word. His most famous sermon that he preaches multiple times, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what he says a blessed life looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. He says things like, blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Like, how are these blessings? Jesus is saying this is what a blessed life looks like. But what these blessings do, they do a couple things. One, they make us, they they bring us into the stark reality of how fleeting life is. That it's a vapor that passes in the wind. They wake us up to the reality of our neediness. That we actually aren't in control. They wake us up to really how dependent we are. What hardships do is they draw us closer to what we really need. So in answer to why, like, why is this suffering happening? This is not a an all-encompassing answer, but a very generalized answer. It's that somehow it's for our good even when we don't know it. It's not pointless suffering. Christians can hold on to the hope that our suffering is not in vain, but it's meaningful. 
We see it even here in verse 4. Jesus says, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. The suffering that Lazarus and that Mary and Martha are going to experience, it's not in vain. It is for God's glory. And that's what they need the most. But sometimes, like even when that's happening in the moment, it doesn't feel like a blessing. Two weeks ago, some of y'all have heard me hear this, use this example before, but it happened to us again two weeks ago. It was flu, it's flu shot season in the trap house. Got, anyone got their flu shots yet? I've got my flu shot. Had, yeah, good job. Wow, way to go. Y'all are on it. I didn't realize that after I got the shot, Chris was like, oh yeah, it lowers your likelihood by 20%. Man, I thought I was going to get more than that for a shot. Anyway, um, we took all of the trap kids to the doctor for flu shots, and um, they hate them. They like, for, started freaking out. And... You know, Owen, Lucy, and Georgia are oldest. They all know what's going on when the shots are happening, and they're screaming and crying, and they don't want them. But our little one-and-a-half-year-old Betsy is entirely clueless. And so when we gave her the shot, she's just sitting there, and then all of a sudden, the doctor, like, pokes her, and this look of utter betrayal, like, comes across her face as I'm holding her down for the shot, and she just looks at me like, I thought we were friends. Like, what are you doing? Why are you letting this thing happen to me? This horrible thing happened to me. And the problem is, I can't explain to her while I'm letting this horrible thing happen to her. I can't give her, like, the data for how, like, well, these are, like, some pathogens or whatever that we're releasing into your body through a needle, and it's going to make you 20% more likely to not get the flu, which is really bad. You don't want it. She doesn't get that. All she gets is that this is horrible and I don't like it. Make it stop. But the suffering that my child is having in my hands is not happening because I don't care for her. I actually love her. I would do anything for her. And so, even though she doesn't understand it, I'm with her in it. And I'm allowing it to happen because I love her. And what Jesus is saying is that this hard thing that Lazarus is going to endure, even though we might not understand it, it's going to be for the glory of God and for their good. And so Christians, we can trust that God is at work in the midst of our suffering. Paul talks about this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. He says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. We have hope in the midst of suffering. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Did you hear that chain of what where suffering leads? Suffering produces endurance, endurance, character, character, hope. And why does hope not put us to shame? Because God loves you. Because we have his love. Because we're in the hands, the Bible is saying, we're in the hands of someone who loves us and is caring for us even when we're suffering and don't understand why. So, what the Bible is claiming is that we can trust him. And I want you to evaluate, even tonight, is he worthy of that trust? The Bible is claiming that he is, but I want you to question that. I want you to see what what this suffering accomplishes too. You see the sisters, 
when Jesus comes to them, do you see how Martha and Mary come to Jesus? They come to him and they are honest with him. They both say the exact same thing. Did you catch that? Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. That's a pretty like, let's get down to business conversation with Jesus. They march right up to him. Martha sees him coming from a distance. She didn't even wait for him to get to the house. She sees him coming. She's like, oh, here we go. And she marches out there. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? We sent messengers to you. Like they got there in time and you didn't move for two days. What were you doing? What our suffering does is it allows us to have honest conversations with God. And I want you to see that Jesus allows those conversations to happen. He doesn't say, how dare you talk to me that way, Martha? You know I have my reasons. He listens to her. He accommodates her. He's gentle with her. And what our suffering does is it actually begins to, it can begin to draw us to the one that we really need. That's what happens with Martha and Mary here. Look, I, I have experienced this firsthand. The time, I am so, I'm like such a self-reliant person. I do not like to depend on people for stuff. And there have been times in my life where I just, where I come face to face with the reality that I'm not in control. The first time Christy and I got pregnant, Christy got pregnant. I was there. Um, but uh, the first time that happened, we were over the moon. Just the most, we were, so, we were young and excited, first parents. We were 25. Isn't that crazy? Some of y'all are close to the kid. Watch out. Um, <laughs> We were so excited. Go to the doctor. First checkup. This baby's not going to live. They told us. And like, there is, I'm sure there, there, there's a lot of really horrible things to feel in this world. One horrible thing to feel in this world is to watch your wife on the couch weeping about something that you cannot do anything about. When we had our first kid, finally get pregnant with Owen. We're in Alabama, in my small town, Tuscumbia, for Thanksgiving. Chrissy goes into labor, 31 weeks pregnant. By the way, spoiler alert, you don't want to have a preemie in Tuscumbia, Alabama. <laughs> and so I'm in, a, I'm in my car at 2 in the morning driving as fast as I can because I'm, they, there wasn't enough room for me because all the medical personnel that needed to be in the ambulance. I couldn't ride with my wife and my son who I wasn't even sure if he was being born or not. So I'm driving up I-65 North to Vanderbilt Hospital, which is where I went to college. It was the weirdest thing ever. And I look in my rearview mirror at 2 in the morning, and this ambulance just blazes past me going like 100 on I-65 at 2 in the morning. And I have no idea what's going on in that ambulance. And after our child is born, on Christmas Eve, the doctor comes in and says, your baby needs brain surgery. Merry Christmas. He didn't say that part. 
But I'm telling you, what suffering does is that it makes you come face to face with the reality that you do not have control. And man, I'm such a self-reliant stinker. And like when, when those things have happened to me in my life, like God knocks me on my knees. I realize how much I, how much I need him and how little control I have over the safety and protection of my family. So what we see Jesus kindly doing is drawing near to Mary and Martha and their suffering. So I said that's the general answer. Somehow God is at work in the midst of this. Somehow he even does things like he, he draws us close to himself in the midst of suffering. But if you want like the specific answer for why does suffering happen? My answer is I don't know. Like, I don't know why certain things happen. And the Bible, the Bible never offers specific explanations for every little bit of suffering that we have. And in fact, it's very mysterious. But I love this quote from Eugene Peterson. He says this. He's a pastor. Uh, He says, Mystery isn't the absence of meaning. It is the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. Mystery isn't the absence of meaning. It's the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. Why Why does specific suffering happen in this world? Why has God ordained that he would allow suffering to ever even enter into the world? I don't know. It's a mystery. But that doesn't mean our suffering is absent of meaning. It actually means that because we can't understand it, that there is a presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. But then the question is, how can I believe that that God is good? That's, remember, that's the question I said I want you to ask. Like, how can I actually, if he's, if there's more meaning to my suffering than I can comprehend, and he hasn't, he hasn't let me see all the mysteries for why that is the case, then how can I know that he's trustworthy? That is the question. And this is where I want you to see our hope. Because I want you to see how Jesus deals with these sisters and their suffering. Martha marches up to him and says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus, he gives both of them. He, they say the same thing, but he responds to them very differently. Because he gives both of them what they need in that moment. What Martha needs is she needs words of comfort. So Jesus walks up to her and he begins talking to her. And he tells her the hope of the resurrection. He has, a, he has a conversation that, with Martha telling her, he doesn't, he doesn't explain all the reasons that Lazarus died. But what he does point to is the truth that it's not supposed to be this way. That death is horrible. It's evil. If you see someone in a casket, in an open casket, you don't have to say, oh, they look so nice. That's not the way that we're supposed to look. We're not supposed to be dead. It's evil. This is not the way God made his world. 
Death is our enemy. It's not our friend. It is an, it is a, an enemy and a wicked tool of the evil one who hates you and is seeking to destroy God's good creation and the ones who bear his image, you. And so what Jesus tells her is that one day all the death is going to be taken away. I'm the resurrection and the life. You will be resurrected. And she says, I know my brother will be resurrected on the last day. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then what he does with Mary is so beautiful. He has a conversation with Martha. She needs a conversation. With Mary, he walks up to Mary. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus asks to go and see where they've laid him. And then Jesus stands with Mary and weeps with her. The God of the universe walks up to the tomb of one of his best friends with his best friend's sister and he just stands there and he weeps. He doesn't take out his Roman 8.28 stamp, which we are so tempted. Christians, you're t- it's tempting to take out your Romans 8.28 stamp when someone's suffering and say, kind of get some ink on it and then stamp it on their forehead and say, hey, God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God's going to work through this. God's, God's going to work all things for the good. That is true. And, that, and, and Jesus knows that's true for Mary, but he doesn't walk up to her and say it. What he does is he walks up to, with her and he sits there and he cries his eyes out. The Greek word for, that describes how he's crying, it's not like, like a tough man tear that just kind of like ekes out of his eye. It is a wailing and weeping and groaning. So it's crying like a baby. Because Jesus, I can't tell you how comforting this has been for me for, for trusting that God is worthy of our trust, for believing that God is worthy of my trust. Because Jesus cares deeply about our suffering. There's two things that we see here. I want you to listen. If you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. Two things that we see in the way that Jesus responds with Mary. He is very sad about death and he's very angry about death. You see him very sad. He's there weeping with her at the tomb. And then in verse 33, it says he's deeply moved in his spirit. In other, part, in other Greek literature, this same phrase, deeply moved in his spirit, that's the kind of phrase that's used in other Greek literature to describe the angry snorts of a war horse before it's about to charge into battle. When Jesus looks at the tomb of his friend, he's angry. Because he hates death. Because he was, he was at the creation He knows what his world is supposed to be like. And he looks at that tomb and it's a perversion of what he made. And young men aren't supposed to die. And Jesus hates it. And he weeps over it. And in verse 36, the people say, see how he loved him? See how Jesus loved him? But they are mistaken. They're mistaken because Jesus' love is never past tense. It's not just that he loved him and now he's gone. 
Because what Jesus does, he doesn't just, I mean, this is what's so beautiful. He knows what he's about to do. If I'm Jesus in this situation, and I walk up and I see all these people crying, I'm going to walk and be like, hey, why are you crying? I'm about to do the coolest miracle you've ever seen in your life. Everybody stop crying. Everybody stop freaking out. I'm about to make this, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the coolest thing you've ever seen. But instead, even though he knows he's about to make it right, he stops and he weeps and he gets angry about the suffering. And that is true for you. Even though God has a plan, and even though he is going to make everything right, he's not standing back from you in your suffering saying, hey, I'm making all things right for those. I'm working all things right for the good of those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Like, it's going to be okay. (coughs) He walks up and weeps. He gets angry at death. And then he does something about it because Jesus doesn't just love in the past tense. He walks up and he calls a man out of the grave. He resurrects Lazarus. And this guy who's been in the grave for four days walks out. And people lose their mind. They can't believe it that Jesus actually has done this. But this is the important part. It's such a long passage, so we didn't read what happens next. But the very next thing that happens, listen to verse 45. I'm going to read this for you. Jesus resurrects Lazarus and says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in Jesus. So all these people start believing in Jesus because of what he does. And then verse 47. So what's going to happen next? The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do for this man performs many signs? Verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Here's the thing. That miracle Jesus did to resurrect Lazarus, that is the moment when all the people who are going to eventually crucify Jesus meet for the first time and say, we've got to do something about this. Here's the deal. The price of Lazarus' resurrection is Jesus' death. The way that Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead is he knows that he's going to be killed now because of that. Because now everyone is going to begin following him. And here's the thing. The same thing is true about us. This is why you can trust him in your suffering. This is it. This is the answer. Because the Christian God, which is totally different from every other world religion, we have a God who doesn't stand back from our suffering and say, you just got to trust me on this one, guys. There's a whole plan to this. We have a God who steps into the suffering. He takes it all onto himself so that we can be resurrected and alleviated from it and healed and made new and right and risen to new life. We get the resurrection because of Jesus' crucifixion. We get united to him in his resurrection. The good news of the gospel, the reason that God is trustworthy Even though he, yes, he is mysterious. And by the way, that makes him awesome and worshipful that you can't understand everything that he's doing because his brain's bigger than ours. And that's good. But he's worthy of your trust because he doesn't just explain it away. He enters into it. And in the moment before he even makes things right, you've got to remember this the next few weeks. He weeps with those who weep. And he hates suffering. 
and he does something about it. And so, because of this, we can have hope. We can have hope in the midst of our suffering because one day we will be resurrected. (coughs) Some of y'all have heard me read this poem. It's my favorite poem I've ever read. It's by my friend, Kevin Ritz. Um, Kevin wrote this. Kevin is just like one of the dearest souls. I know we went to college together. Uh, He's an inner city teacher, teaches math and rap. And he's the coolest guy. And he wrote, he wrote this poem after his father tragically kind of out of nowhere died. Kevin loved his dad very much. They were very close. And I want you to hear what he says about how we can have hope in the midst of suffering. And I'll close with this. And I'm not going to wrap it because I'm not Kevin. I wish I could. But I'll read it. My flow is a haunted house, no doubt. All my ghosts want it out. I run my mouth, the parade goes, Dia de los Muertos. All saints, all souls, the funeral marches my town. And this is all Hallow's Eve, and I sorrow breathe, an autumn breeze of fallen leaves. That's all my grief observed. Tears blur the words, I write them down. The grim reaper sickled cirrhosis, my father's liver. Then cataclysm, our captain passed. Cannon blasts to the stomach, wide open. Emotion shot by ghost ships. Dread pirates of denial and anger. Blackbeard bargains. Davy Jones locker depression. But their admiral acceptance. For those who love not their lives unto death, to death are no slaves. They shall dance on their graves on the day the dead are raised. Still my heart breaks. Jesus weeps with me. The only sound, pain profound. But to grow, we've got to go in the ground. Jesus is with you in your suffering. He is working to make all things new and right. He weeps with us when we weep. And he works for people who aren't perfect. He works for sinners like me and you. And he will work the hardest things in your life for good. Because one day he will end our suffering. He will. I really believe we are going to live in a world without suffering and death because of what Jesus has done. And so we have hope in the midst of suffering and we can sing in the midst of suffering. So let me pray and we'll sing one last song. Father, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. We thank you that you sent your son who entered into our pain and our suffering and gives us hope. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand and sing.